The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I'm Molly Balin. And joining us today from the Ramones of the Day podcast, Philip Matas. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for for having me in your prison. I'm I'm glad that you sound so happy to be here. Oh, it's, I mean, what, it's it's fine. I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the cabbie of this, of this show. Oh, okay. You know, it's fine. Mr. Optimism, yes. Mr. Optimism, yeah. Uh, well, uh, Philip's joining us here today for Minute 64, and we start out with the helicopter pilots telling Hauk that they don't see anything, and it ends with Hauk standing on top of a wall. <laughs> and my first question at the start of this minute is, and the, the helicopters are flying around, it ended, it's how we ended the last minute, and they're looking down, with the, we get to see the cool graphics again that we saw earlier in the movie, and they're saying, you know, we don't see anything. Nobody's moving down there. We don't see any fires, no infrared body scans. And I'm just wondering if they really do expect to find anything. I mean, they have not heard from Snake in a while. I'm sure they know that whoever has the president captive is is not just parading him down the street. Hmm. So it's just it seems like this is a bit of a wild goose chase that's going on here. Yeah, it's a they're in Hail Mary mode. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They they've already they're like our plan to send that untrustworthy criminal hasn't paid off, so we got to try something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was always a little bit of a, a strange minute for me because I I didn't quite understand because it seems like like no one's down there because they say something like there's something strange going on down there. There's no movement within the the searchlights. There's no fires. There's nothing going on in the streets. So there's millions of people. So. Do they just have like a really sophisticated communication system? The criminals? Yeah. The, yeah, they they must. It seems like um and and I should and I'll come clean right now that I've been really enjoying the show, so I'm listening. Um I've been listening to you guys as you've been going along. I'm pretty cla- caught up. Yeah, of course. Um uh so if I if anything else, like these are times when I like sort of fanboy bring things back and say like in episode 13, Molly wondered. <laughs> but uh, no, <laughs> but there was I, I forget when it was, but there was some sort of discussion as to like how big the Duke's reign over New York or Manhattan was. Right. right? And it seems like this is kind of supporting the idea that he runs the whole show and whether he does or not, just in the scope of sort of in movie momentum logic it adds to the creepiness that he's somehow like this is truly he is holding all the chips there's there nothing is going on there's radio silence that nobody the authorities are powerless they can't even find anybody it's it's that dire so it seems like in movie in movie logic that's how that i mean you want to go real world then we're gonna be here a while but (laughs) <laughs> For the sake of the movie, I mean, you know, it's it it. I, that's how I always read that part to be like, yeah, it's it's unlikely. That's also probably why it's so unsettling. Mm, right, right. Yeah. I thought about it that it's almost like someone like Cabby isn't necessarily under control of the Duke, but if it's like if 
someone if someone lived in a neighborhood where there was a mobster, like a prominent, like Don Corleone lives down there. It's like I don't exactly answer to the Don, but our neighborhood's kind of run by him. Like it, he's his center of gravity is so huge that it impacts everybody. So even if mm. even if these guys are like, so let's say I am, let's say I am the happiest person to ever get sent to New York prison, and I would probably learn really quickly. It was like maybe I won't be in the Duke's crew, but I probably know enough that if he has the president, I am. There's no way I'm messing with him now. So I'm gonna mm. hold up somewhere and hide. So like even the Broadway gang. Uh, even the the crazies who live underground, they might not necessarily be beholden to the Duke, but if maybe word has gotten to them, the Duke's planning something big. Yeah. Even if they don't necessarily know he has the president of the United States, they just the grapevine tells them the Duke's planning something big. Let's just stay out of his way. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like it's like uh, it's like um, when you know there's a baseball game. And you're like, oh, we could go to this show, but it's right by, there's going to be a baseball game, so we should probably not. Or it's going to be hell to park. It's the same type of logic where you're like, nah, let's steer clear of that. Because even though I'm not involved in that, it, it'll affect everything. Sure. That's my, that's my justification. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a great justification. Great. Next item. <laughs> <laughs> I'm knocking <laughs> these out. <laughs> we get it. We get a quick shot of the Master Life Clock. We see we're down to twelve hours and twenty-seven minutes, so we're almost halfway through that twenty-four hours or twenty-two hours, I guess technically. Uh, and then we cut to Snake lying passed out, and for some reason he has no shirt now. And the only thing I can think of is it's uh, to get women to buy tickets back then. I, I don't. I'm not sure. Yeah, I wondered about that too. I I can't remember now how he gets his shirt back. Does he? I mean. That's for the future, but he doesn't run around shirtless for the rest of the movie. I mean, it's after the after the. I know we're not supposed to talk about the future, but uh, <laughs> but it's but it's technically the past. Um, after the gladiator fight, sometime after that, he gets it. Oh right, right. He still has no shirt in the gladiator fight, but that's right. He has a shirt for the ending. He must just grab it somewhere. You know, it's like I'm I'm willing to bet someone just left some garbage around. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I don't know who has it. Like, who? It's a huge plot hole. Who has the <laughs> snake shirt? They're like, we got to check him for all his weapons. And you know, take his shirt off. And yeah. The, oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, it just seems like that trope where the villain kidnaps, like, the hot chick. And they're like, mm-hmm. but I have this sexy dress for you. Would you <laughs> mind trying on the sexy dress? <laughs> and and even to to a more modern uh, angle. I recently rewatched Thor Ragnarok, and there's a point about halfway through when he's captured and he's being made to to do gladiator fights, and it's after like that first fight, but it's just a total beefcake moment where he's just shirtless for a while, and you're like, oh, okay, well this is what we're dealing with, guys. Here it is. <laughs> hey, I, it it it's all fair, right, Molly? Usually, women yeah. have to deal with the the women having no shirts all the time. Here we get we, we it's turnabout in this movie. Yeah, sure. You know, if just, we want to just be random, sexy with Snake and have special nakey times, that's cool. <laughs> you know, like give the people what they want. <laughs> it doesn't hurt things that he's shirtless. We could say that. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Other than this huge plot hole of how does he get his shirt back, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> right. At the absolute least, it's it's sort of just uh, ambivalence. Um, we can't see the tattoo yet, though, right? Correct. It's just kind of yes. upper body. That's yeah. right. We can. Right, so, uh, yeah, the tattoo discussion, 
unfortunately is going to have to wait. All right, fine. Um, <laughs> what we can talk about, though, is the most prominent member of the Duke's gang here staring at Snake. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy uh, with the big Fu Manchu-type mustache. And, the guy in the middle. And, and, and once again, a guy who's missing one lens in his glasses. Uh, this is a very <laughs> common thing here for the Duke's gang. I, I guess that's their thing. But yeah. this guy is credited as Red Bandana Gypsy. And the actor's name is Lonnie One, W-U-N. And this guy had a very brief career, but in that brief career, boy, was he typecast. <laughs> he's in this movie, and he's only got four other, three other credits in his IMDb page. In addition to this, he played a sumo wrestler in a movie called Private Resort. He played a sumo guard in the movie <laughs> Volunteers. That's the John Candy, Tom Hanks movie. And then he played a sumo wrestler in the Hot for Teacher video from Van Halen. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, wait. So I don't remember his face, but that's, uh, yeah, at the very end, that's Michael Anthony's job. Yes. And they say, like, they grew up, yeah. Tim, oh my that's God. the guy sumo wrestling Michael Anthony. Wow, yeah, 1980 to 1984 was this guy's prime time. Yeah, and that's it. He didn't do anything mm. else. But So five roles, three of them as a sumo person. I like the uh, the clarification of sumo guard. My first thought was that he's guarding the sumo wrestlers. <laughs> what it was <laughs> like? Make sure these sumo, no one gets these sumo wrestlers. You got it, boss. <laughs> and I want to talk about his sh- his shirt, or I, I I I'm not even sure you can call it a shirt because yeah. the only thing what that what he's wearing it's it's gray with all these bumps over it, and all I'm thinking is the underside of a bathtub mat. Oh man! I thought it wow. kind of. Like, I thought it looked like that, or uh, like a washboard, like an old, um, you know, from like olden times when you'd go down to the river to wash to darn your clothes. You had to have this like bumpy washboard. That was the first thing that it made me think of. But I don't think that's. It doesn't look like it's metal. No, and it looks kind of rubber, like a bath mat would. Yeah, <laughs> he should be really. Maybe his full name is like Red Bandana Bath Mat. <laughs> <laughs> Like, Mr. Bathman was my father's name. You'd call me Red Bandana. Yeah. And, and, and he's, so I, I'm again talking about the future, but he's going to come back too, right? I mean, he's going to be not a prominent character, but we get a taste of him later also. Yes. In a future minute, he's he, there. He plays a, even though his character is incredibly minor. Yeah. Snake does something with him that is a major plot point. So uh, because I'm not going to deal with that directly, I will <laughs> cryptically say, I think it's things like this, little little things like this that just show it's like, even if it's not virtuoso filmmaking, it's just like, that is just solid filmmaking. You know, to be like, you're going to need to see this face again later. So I'm just going to put it someplace. You're not going to know why. It's going to be a little weird because he's just staring back at you. They're looking at us. It's like, you know, they're right, right. in the camera. But it's just like, it's just enough so that later we're kind of like, oh, we can kind of tie this together. Even though you could have had two totally different characters for this part and the part that's coming up later that I won't mention. Right. But, you know, just it's just like a nice thing. Or maybe, honestly, maybe it's just low-budget stuff. But I, I, <laughs> I, I, I tend to think maybe it's, it's the first way that, it, that they like, just like, just, just put a hat on this or a red bandana just enough to be like, that is an identifiable face. And then we're going to see him later. You know what I mean? 
Right. They hold that shot for three full seconds. And, yeah. you know, why would you hold a shot for three seconds on a background character? And his his face, he, his, uh, we actually missed him. He's He is also in the scene when the Duke is talking to Snake a couple of minutes ago with the arrow in his leg asking him who he is. He's oh, like, he was there for that, too? Yeah, so they, they, they seed him a couple of times throughout okay. to get to that important scene. All right, then he's got a whole life. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very well rounded out character. <laughs> he likes bath mats, red bandanas, finding jewelry, uh, and being present for uh, the Duke seeing mercenaries. Yeah, that's what he's about. And then we got a guy to on screen right over his <laughs> left shoulder, and I want to for this guy. This is the guy in the beard. I want to call out the glasses that he's wearing. Yeah, right. <laughs> they look like plastic glasses they, they look like toy glasses like yeah. the kind you have with mr potato head yeah they look like something some a kid would buy for like 50 cents in a store or something yeah this is the guy who kind of looks like rick rubin <laughs> the beard does not match rick rubin's beard though <laughs> no oh i guess not but in my in my mind this is rick rubin gone horribly wrong see these glasses kind of remind me of like a middle-aged lady like it was like his mom's <laughs> glasses <laughs> yeah uh, you know like she was trying to do something kind of like fun and kicky at like 55 and right. got some special glasses and he's just like screw you mom and like popped out the lenses and was just you know making a fashion statement with it i like that yeah, they're they're not exactly masculine glasses, I guess is a <laughs> way to say it. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. But that's almost like kind of fits what we're dealing with here where everything is just kind of like they're sort of junkers and scrappers and they're yeah. finding stuff everywhere. So it's like, yeah, whatever. If he's I, I was just about to make a justification doesn't make any sense because he doesn't have any lenses. Because I was like, if he's nearsighted and he doesn't have glasses, then that sucks. But it's almost just like <laughs> it. At this point, it's probably almost just trophies, you know? Mm. Like, oh, I, yeah. I jumped somebody, and this is what I got, and now you know. So if anybody, no one asked that guy, where'd you get those glasses? Because he's going to take something off of you. And the weapon he's holding, it, it's like a, a makeshift spear, I guess. And I, I, I can't really, t- it's, there's, it's not in focus enough, and it's not enough in the shot enough to really tell what it's made out of. Maybe it's like a pipe with a... Uh, some kind of spiky thing attached to the yeah. end of it. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Yeah. And he's not and none of those none of the people we've talked about is actually holding the crossbow, right? There's a crossbow on Snake. Yeah, none of those three are. I, I think yeah. we'll pro- I think in tomorrow's minute we're gonna see who's holding the crossbow. Oh, okay. Oh, so tantalizing. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we go back to the uh control room and Hauk and the Secretary of State are having a little back and forth here, arguing about what you should do next. And first of all, I got to call out that the Secretary of State doesn't even say his name right. He says Hulk, not Hauk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess uh, he just wasn't paying attention when they were rehearsing or something. I don't know. There should have been a whole. There should have been a whole back and forth of like, first of all, you idiot, it's Hauk. Can't even pronounce my name. Uh, the Secretary of State wants to go in immediately. Hauk is saying, "Uh uh-uh, this is my prison, we're not going in, I'm in charge, I don't care who you are. And this doesn't come across in this scene, and this doesn't come across in the movie either, but in the novel, the Secretary of State was written as cowardly, and Hauk Mm -hmm. having to deal with the Secretary of State being cowardly, and so I I didn't really... I, I don't I don't get that at all. And so, you know, again, these novels are based on earlier versions of the script, and so... um, I guess I haven't made note when I've been going through the scripts as we've been going through the show, whether the 
Secretary of State comes across cowardly or not. I guess I it hasn't stuck out to me if he has. No, it seems like the only person who's you would say would be cowardly would be the president. So far, that's right. the only one that's like he's the only one who just craps himself at the sight of anything. <laughs> yeah, but 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 yeah, the Secretary of State guy seems like he's. I mean, he's maybe not as aggressive as some of the other characters, but it's he's still like no, I wouldn't say he's cowardly. Right. I mean, he's 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 comes across as a guy trying to do his job. Yeah. Um. I. I this is going to almost come off as blasphemous, but this little snippet of scene feels like the most Ed Wood that this movie gets. <laughs> so, so here's, here's the thing. So I'll make this long and you can edit it out. But I kind of feel like the, the premise for Escape from New York is so great that it's almost Trump's the movie itself sometimes it's like i love the movie but it's like that premise is so sweet um it's so but it's also like b movie sweet right i mean this is this is like a a b movie premise um and so most of the time i feel like it sort of rises above that to deliver something a little more than maybe somebody else would have made but this particular scene has two things that remind me specifically of like uh, Edward type movies, which is a the classic blinking lights doing nothing. <laughs> I mean, that is they've got two settings, and it's like there's a mil, there's like a hundred lights back there, but they're all like either these are on and these are off. That's it, on off, on off, on off. <laughs> no, no variation, no nothing. And then it's a single shot, which I'm not against, but it's just they almost kind of sound like little boys arguing was like it's my turn to do this well i've got to do it first well i'm doing it first yeah and then and then that's it There's- and and also that the secretary of state like just the way he's pointing at hauk yeah very mechanical it's just like shaking his finger up and down you 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 listen to me here see you yeah it sounds it seems like and I really only know it from the best from the movie, Edward. But there's a scene in Plan 9 where Tor Johnson is telling the cops. It was like, oh, there's lots of strange stuff out there. And it's like, you take charge. And like, I don't know. It just seems very similar. It's the same angle, um, but with more blinky sci-fi lights in the background. <clears throat> yeah, that's 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 my opinion. I'm staying to it. I, 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 I cannot argue with that. No. I think, yeah, I think this is a trope. You know, there's... And especially where we are in the movie, there's mm-hmm. got to be some type of pushback because it's obviously sliding into a toilet here. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, this is the time for the man to come in and be like, OK, this isn't working. You know, we need to yeah. do we need to do something else here. And, and so, yeah, I, I was going to agree. Sometimes with some movies, you know, like you could you could really blow this out and we could get into character and all this sort of stuff. And the other time was like, look, guys, I just need 30 seconds where this information is conveyed. Can you yeah. ju- like short, sweet, to the point, let's just do it. Great. It's over. And you don't <laughs> until you get people in our position right now, no one thinks about it. You're like, thanks <laughs> for the information and we're moving on. That I I think I think it's fine, but yeah, this is the type of thing that is almost like the nuts and bolts of storytelling and movie making are sometimes look, it's not all gonna be home runs. You we need sometimes <laughs> we, we need Sometimes we need solid singles and we need base runners and we need like get the runner out at first, you know, like that type of stuff. And this is a total like sacrifice fly moves the runner over to third. You didn't even get an RBI, but you moved him over. Thanks a lot. Great. And we're on. Yeah. And I think, Molly, your point about the trope, I think another trope in that 
quick shot between the two is also it's pretty common you have this thing where you'll have someone who technically is in a position of authority over someone, but they're on that inferior ranked person's turf. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll be like, you know, yeah. well, I don't care that you outrank me. This is my show. You know, that that's a pretty common thing also. Yeah. I always find that funny in, especially happens in like cop shows where they're like, oh man, he's trying to steal the collar. And I don't know anything about police, but according to movies, they're really interested in if they start a case, they finish it. Right. And I always, <laughs> I've never, I've never been in a position myself where someone's like, hey, I'm going to do that work for you. And I'm like, no, you're not. I'm <laughs> finishing this. And I'm like, no, go for it. Oh, you caught him. Great. It's over. <laughs> Some people are really about closure. I guess so. Yeah. They're really, you know? yeah. <laughs> they're like, I, I see things through. That's on my, it's on my LinkedIn. That's what I do. <laughs> I stand in front of blinking lights, and I see things through. I got hired for two things. So we have our next song on from the soundtrack in this minute. And actually, it actually started in minute 63, uh, but just kind of at the end. This song is called Police Action. And <laughs> it's an interesting choice because, obviously, the police action that they're referring to is the helicopters looking around the city. But in this kind of movie, police action, to me says more like the police are coming in to kick ass not yeah. mm-hmm. looking around and finding nothing it's the, it's, <laughs> it is the loosest definition of action <laughs> but it kind of makes sense given the anti-authoritarian philosophy of this movie to have a completely impotent search and be calling it police action <laughs> <laughs> and we end the minute with kind of a hero shot of Hauk here he's he's standing up on top of the wall looking out over the prison, wondering what's going on, wondering what his next move is, takes a drag from his cigarette, just kind of <laughs> looking off to the horizon here. I, like I said, I've been listening to the show, and I listen to a bunch of these type of shows, and I know that silence is sometimes seen as a negative for these movies. Mm. Um, or, you know, for, for most movies. Um, so I am here to stand up for silence. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I am. Um, so I'll make this again. I'm going to just talk and talk. Bad news, guys. Um, I talk a lot. Um, first of all, you guys got to watch the Leone Dollars trilogy. If not, if for no other reason, they're really good movies. The That's Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More, and Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. But it also really relates to what Carpenter is doing in this movie in particular. In most of his movies, actually, he he... I almost said rips off, but he he borrows a lot of this type of stuff, right? And mm. not the least of which being literally Lee Van Cleef. Um, but those movies really trade in long, extended, tense, silent moments. And even just like other moments where it's just like there's not a lot of talking to be done. And this is one of those parts where it's like there's nothing. He can't do anything. What's he going to do? Just like tell us he can't do anything? We've already seen that. Um, but the funny part about it uh, to me, is that you get this moment and it looks like uh, the Little Mermaid singing her song on the coast <laughs> line. You know, like you said, it's like a hero shot. And the funny part is that, like, Hauk is not, like, if we actually take the text as it is, like, Hauk and Snake are not friends. The, the like, the evidence is clear in that. But given when you're watching the movie... I feel like when you get to this part, I almost, I almost always assume he's 
thinking about Snake or the mission at least. And it like somehow ties them together because like the next scene is Snake. So it's in my mind, I always kind of conflate the two to be like, he's staring off, obviously looking at New York. He's got a it'd be hilarious if he wasn't. He's staring at the Atlantic Ocean. If he's facing um, the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. West Virginia. Um, no, I've always thought he's staring into the prison. So he's got to be thinking about Snake. And it just like is a thing that ties them closer together than even like the text really means it to be and it's just sort of like that's that's the nice thing that those silent moments can do is you fill in these things like now there's a relationship more of a relationship there than the movie maybe even was going for but i think i think they are certainly doing it for that reason because there's there's kind of no reason to have it otherwise other than to show the impact of the previous thing and then to tie us to the other to the other character snake and and i i think that Carpenter knows what he's doing in those moments, and I think I so I stand up for silence mm. with a, with a long and wordy diatribe. <laughs> All the irony, yeah. I mean, Hauk has he has hitched himself to Snake. He is all in on this plan. Yeah, he's defying the Secretary of State, saying it's too soon to go in. I'm not giving up on this plan that I came up with. You know, I mean, he's he's putting his ass on the line, and he is trusting that somehow Snake is going to still pull through. With less than 12 and, a, 12 and a half hours left. I mean, the, yeah. right, they, they don't like each other. They're never going to be friends. They both know that. But they both, right now, need each other and are counting on each other. And it might even be, like you say, sort of a trope. But that type of thing that, like, just by virtue of being a movie and an action movie and there's a there's bad guys, we kind of start filling in the blanks based on what we've seen before. Then that way we're like, well, if they're the bad guys, then Snake's the hero, even though he's awful. Um, if he's the hero and, and Hauk is on the same side, then they're sort of together. You know, like it's all the little, I don't know if subtext is the right word, because I don't think it's telling much more than that, but it's almost just like us filling it in based on our experience of watching movies. We're like, oh, well, they're, they're friends in a way. They're not enemies. Right. It's more of the enemy of my enemy is my friend, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They both have a common goal. Even and so they're they're for twenty four hours, let's set aside our differences and let's do it. Yeah. Right. I think I appreciate this moment speaking of, of silence. I think this is an effective silence. I don't know that they all are, but this one I find uh-huh. to be effective because it shows contemplation. Because we have the privilege of knowing where Snake is at. Obviously, Hauk does not. And, you know, he's halfway through an operation that is not going well. But I like this from a character perspective of him just really trying to, like, figure things out. And we're just taking a beat for him to be like, I don't really know. And I'm just going to kind of, like, take a second and think about it. And we did see that moment early on with Snake as well, where he's pretty screwed. And and before he runs into the crazies and he sits down, he's like, oh, man, you know, this is not not good. (laughs) And I think we have in so many action movies, you know, I mean, I just saw Hobbs and Shaw this weekend, so that's its own thing. But (laughs) you... You see a breakneck speed of decision making where everyone just seems to know kind of the right thing to do at the right time. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate the humanity of this of like, things are fucked. I don't really know. I got to take a minute and just kind of think. Yeah. And I dig that. Yeah. I mean, too. I think that's what 
I think that you're totally right. That's what it's doing. Is you are now because we we can't move without these characters. These characters are driving the story. So if they're screwed and they don't have any way out slash any shirts on, yeah. then there's then there's I mean then then we end up feeling what they feel. And so if you just sit in the silence of that, then you're kind of like, eh. Now I have to think about it. Mm-hmm. I have to really think like. I don't know what we should, should we bomb this place? Like, I don't know what to do. If we bomb them, then Snake gets killed. And then the president too, you know, like you're, you have to, even when characters, it is ironic that I talk so much, but I'm saying the silent stuff. But (laughs) even when characters like supply a good answer, it's not necessarily going to be the right answer, especially for this moment where like the point is no one knows what to do. So it'd almost be worse if people started throwing out a bunch of bad ideas or good ideas. Because then we'd say, like, well, you thought of it. Why didn't you do X, Y, Z? You know, like, they don't know. Also, right now, Hauk is is kind of a stand-in for the audience. You know, right now, yes, you're watching this movie, and the protagonist of the movie is held captive. He's shirtless. He's got guys <laughs> surrounding him with his weapons. He... He had the president for about 30 seconds and he lost him. You do not know, oh man, how is he going to get out of this one? How is he going to end up actually saving the day? Maybe, does this movie have a sad ending? Maybe he doesn't <laughs> save the day. I wonder what's going to happen. And Hauk is standing there thinking all that same stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it gives, a, it It may be me like overreaching, but it almost in those moments, it allows you to have that thought of, I don't know how they're going to get out of this one. Anybody at this point, if they're watching this for the first time, wouldn't say like, oh, well, he's going to have to fight this guy and then they're, they're going to lose that part. But then they're going to have to like, no, you what? How would you no one can no one would be able to predict other than maybe escaping from New York what's going to happen next in terms of details. Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah, you just sit in that and be like, yeah, you wouldn't know what to do either. I think it's good. Yeah, it's real, real good. Just just this just in, guys. I, th- this movie's real good. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you guys have any other notes on this particular minute? Uh, I don't. I'm looking at mine, and the only other one I want to say uh, was about the music mm-hmm. uh, in general. Uh, not just not just this sweet police action thing, but the um, something I'd noticed uh, recently was it sounds a lot like uh, some of the music from Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're familiar with that later on, I'm going to spoil that movie. Um, but later on in the, after two hours of it, when, by the time the boat eventually gets to the Kurtz compound, it is, I mean, a lot of their, their, uh, soundtrack was synth, first of all, and it's, it becomes just boom, 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 like a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I was doing, I was preparing for this week and then also watching, Escape from New York in full, and then I was like, "Hey, wait a minute, this is similar." And I and it and I think there's lots of comparisons with that, where like you're going into some place that is so super hostile, the government won't go. <laughs> like they just they just said we we disavow it. You're on your own, buddy. But I thought that was interesting, especially that you know Carpenter's music. He's known for his music almost as much as his as his films. You know, they're part and parcel so closely tied to each other but i was like hey this is very similar in tone so look it up total rip off 
No, not really. Well, Philip, where can people find you out there on the interwebs? Uh, people can find me uh, a couple places. Um, I have, uh, I'm a co-host of a podcast called Ramones of the Day, where we go through every single Ramon song alphabetically from 53rd to the word zero. Um, that's over 180 episodes uh, about the Ramones. So if you want to talk about New York stuff and weirdos, <laughs> Ramones of the Day. Um and uh, and then I also have another podcast, uh, a comedy podcast called Super Punk Radio um, that promises nonstop music, but is actually uh, three minute uh, commercial parodies. Mm. Fake commercials. Yeah. So nonstop music right after this. And then we play three minutes of made up commercials. Sweet. Yeah. Well, thank you, Philip, for joining us for Minute 64. And Philip's going to be back tomorrow as well. You can follow us on Twitter at NYMinutePod. Also, we've got a sweet Facebook group, Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. And with that, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. Mm -hmm.